of the things that Christians seem to struggle with, at least what I hear a lot is, they, they struggle with finding their purpose. They agree and understand that God made them on purpose, that God created them with a purpose, and those are both true. There's no such thing as an accidental child. There may be an unplanned child, or at least unplanned by us, but not unplanned by God. Every soul that steps into this world is, is put into this world with a purpose. Many people spend their entire lives looking for that purpose, never finding that purpose because the world actively works against us in finding our true purpose. The world, Satan, his demons, will place everything in our ways, place things in our ears, place people around us that keep us from finding our godly purpose. So very quickly this morning, I want to look at a few things that hopefully will put your feet on a path to help you find, and more importantly, to fulfill your godly purpose. I cannot think of a more miserable existence than to spend your life on the earth knowing that you have a purpose and never fulfilling it because you never figure out what that purpose is. So today we're going to look at a few things that hopefully will help us. Back in 1989, Franklin Covey wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Has anybody here read that book? That's a really good book. I encourage, it was, it was primarily written to business people. And that's the context that I, I read it in. But it's a book that is great for parents. Um, it's a great for business leaders as well as, as uh, business followers. It's great for people in ministry. It's great for anybody. Students can benefit from it. In essence, what it does is it goes through seven different practices or seven different habits that if you will build those up and instill them in your lives, it will help you to be more effective. I mean, exactly what the title says. What a lot of people don't realize is that this book that spawned an entire industry of planners and uh, time management uh, programs and things. How many of you, anybody here have a Covey planner when they're Franklin planner? I had a Franklin planner. There are those big bricks and I still, I think I still have a couple of them around the house with all the old notes and everything in them and all. And, uh, but they were effective at the time, and they served a purpose. I would imagine there probably still is some of that online. He's probably still putting stuff like that out. But a lot of people don't realize that his principles are based upon godly principles. That if you look at that, read your Bible, if you're a student of the Bible, and you start reading his principles, you start seeing where the roots for his principles are. He actually got those from his Christianity from his upbringing in the church. And his habit number two was very simple. He said, start with the end in mind. So in other words, if you have a plan, if you have a process, if you want to know how to do something, start with the end. We have to know where we're going. And if we start with our destination, it makes it easier to get there. That sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? If you're going to go on vacation, and I've never had a vacation like this, but I kind of... I, I kind of think about it sometimes, but I'm, I don't know if I could do it because I'm not this type of person. Maybe you've done a vacation where you had no idea where you're going. You just got in the car and drove. I can't do that. I, I fantasize about doing that, being that free of a spirit. Just I'm just going to go. I don't I'll do the money in my pocket and just leave. And but I can't. No, I have to have a plan. I have to know where I'm going. And I have to know when I'm going to get there. And I have to know the, the things that I may or may not face along the way. I love Google because it'll even tell me if there's car accidents along the way that I can avoid. And so uh, I'm that kind of a person. 
And most people, I think, are like that. They're going on vacation. They want to know, I'm going to the Rockies, or I'm going to Disney, or I'm going to Norway, or wherever it is. And you have that destination in mind. And once you have the destination, that's, that's what we normally start with with vacation planning, right? Then we start filling in everything else in between. And when we're talking about God's purpose for our lives, we understand that's a godly principle. We need to begin with the end in mind. So in order to understand our purpose, we kind of have to understand where is our, is our purpose going to end? Turn with me to John 3.16. Probably the most familiar, the most memorized, probably the, one of the first studied Bible in, or uh, Bible verses in children's church is John 3.16. And there's a reason for that because John 3.16 is in essence in one verse and encapsulates what the Bible is all about. If you've studied literature at all, you know that when you're reading, you, you look for the, the key sentence in a paragraph. And then you look for the key paragraph in a chapter. And you boil things down that way. So if we had to say they're a key verse to the entire Bible, I think most scholars would agree it's John 3.16. But there's some theology in John 3.16 that's probably not the theology that we normally look at. Actually, in 16 and 17, I'm going to go ahead and read those, even though we're probably very familiar with them. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, when you look at this, I want you to see that God had a plan, and God had a purpose, and the ending of his purpose is here. Before it's even been carried out, before it's been put in motion, his ending is there. What's his ending? That the world through him might be saved. So he established the fact that this is the end goal. The end goal is that the world might be saved. And then he had his beginning. He had his beginning. What was his beginning? It says, for God, or I'm sorry, for God so loved the world. So God's beginning is him. And his very definition of love is him. And that's where he's starting. And then his ending is saving the entire world. Starts with love, ends with saving the world. Now we know there's a lot of things that come and play in between there. But he knew where he was going to start, and he knew where he was going to end. I don't think this is put here on accident. I think this is to give us an idea of the thought process of God so that we can incorporate the thought thought process in our lives and how to find our purpose. We need to know where we're going to start and we're going to need to know where we're going to end. Because once we have those two pieces, once we have those two anchors, then we can start filling in everything in in between. God's already given us the ending. God's given us the ending in Matthew chapter 28. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Incidentally, this is at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, shortly before he ascends. He's already been crucified. He's already been buried. He's already arose again. And he's speaking to the church at the time of the disciples. And he says, go ye there, in verse number 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And we look at this, and we, normally we look at this, and we say, well, this is what we're supposed to do. But in essence, this is the end result of what we're supposed to be doing. This is where we're trying to get to. 
We're trying to get to that. And we condense this down more into a, a more modern terminology that we use today. In essence, Jesus was telling us, go make disciples. Very, very simply. You want to know what your purpose is in this world? Every single person in this world? Their purpose is go and make disciples. That's your purpose. That's what you're here for, is to go and make disciples. Now, I want you to understand that, because once you understand that, it begins to make everything else, the rest of your purpose, start to come in line. Because we know where we got to get to. That's where we got to get. That's not something that's going to happen today. That's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. That's our goal, is to make disciples, every single one of us. Where do we start? Romans 5, 8. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the power of that verse is what it says is that God commendeth, and that word commendeth means what? Expressed or showed or made real. So God showed or expressed his love to us when? While we were sinners. A lot of times we think in order to fulfill our purpose, in order to get, get right with God, in order to do everything we need to do for God, first we have to make a bunch of changes in our life. The changes in your life will come once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The changes in your life will come once you begin to become obedient to Jesus Christ. The changes in your life will come as you begin to fulfill your purpose and work towards your purpose. In order to get everything right ahead of time, we're putting the cart before the horse. We can't get good enough to do what we need to do. Only God can make us good enough. So where do we start? We start with right exactly where you are today. There's nothing you need to do Right here, doesn't matter what sin you're involved in, you can start today. And as you work, as you serve, as you are saved, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, God will do the work in you to make you better. God's job to clean us up. And as we go through the, those points of service, we will see that God will take care of those things. I want you to look at another verse, all the way back in the book of Exodus. Once we start talking about discipleship, people start getting nervous. Because they're like, you know, a couple things come to mind. One, I'm not good enough. Well, we just talked about that. You're right. You're not good enough. But that's okay because God loves you right where you are. The other thing that we often say is, well, I don't even know how to do it. I'm not equipped. I don't have the right tools. Anybody feel like that? Anybody ever felt like that they weren't properly equipped or didn't have the right tools to do what God wanted them to do? I've been there. But look what God has to say about that. In Exodus chapter 4, now we know what's happening in Exodus. Hopefully you know what's happening in Exodus. This is when the, the children of Israel are getting ready to leave out of, out of Egypt. They've been, they've been enslaved for generations, and God has raised up a deliverer. Now the interesting thing about this deliverer is that he was a, 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 a child of God. He was a, a Jewish person, but he was raised in Pharaoh's court, which meant that he had, or in Pharaoh's house, which meant that he had education. He had a lot of skills that the average slave wouldn't have had. But he messed up, and he killed somebody. And then he made it worse by trying to hide his sin. And we can't hide our sins from God. And so when it was found out, God already knew, but when it was found out, he was exiled out of Egypt. Now, he was the deliverer. 
He is the one that God chose to send there to deliver the people out of Egypt, and now he's been exiled out of Egypt. He went into the wilderness where he ended up living with, basically with animals, became a, a herder, and 40 years later, he and God are having a conversation now. And God says, okay, now I'm ready to use you. Well, by now, Moses has forgotten everything. Moses has become like one of the goats. He can barely talk. He stinks. He smells. Everything about him is just not the type of person that you'd send to stand before the Pharaoh and declare anything. And in chapter number 4 of Exodus, after he has basically been arguing with God about his ability to be able to do this, he continues in verse number 1, it says, And Moses answered, and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it upon the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the, and the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it up by the tail. Take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, uh, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. We know that story, right? That's an amazing thing. Throws the rod down, becomes a serpent. Picks it up, it's a rod again. And we think, wow, if God would do something like that for me, then I'd be able to prove to everybody that God exists. One thing, we're never called to prove God exists ever in the Bible. It's always assumed that he is. The Bible starts out with, in the beginning, God. That's an assumption that's made because everybody is implanted with that information that God exists. No such thing in the world as an atheist, just liars. And so here he's saying, I can't do it, God. I don't have the tools. I don't, I don't have anything I can use. And God's response is not, here's this amazing thing, but what's in your hand? God's telling him, you've already got everything you need. God has already given you what you need to take the next step in fulfilling your purpose of making disciples. Look what's in your hand. What has God already given you? You know, we come to, in, into this world without a lot. But by the time we get old enough to start fulfilling our purpose, God has put a lot of stuff into us. He's given us a lot of information. He's given us a lot of experience. And we can use those experiences and that knowledge and that wisdom that God has given us, that's what's in our hand. And we take those things, we take those things and we begin to fulfill the purpose of God. That purpose of making disciples. You see, the beginning is the same for pretty much all of us. We may be coming at this at a different point in time in our lives, but our beginnings, it really isn't that far. We're all sinners. Hopefully we're sinners saved by grace. And our ending is the same to make disciples. It's the things in the middle that differentiate my purpose from your purpose. You see, God has decided that my point in the middle is to teach and to train. And so I stand in the pulpit and I teach and I train. I go on Zoom and I teach and I train. I go on the podcast and I teach and I train. And that's where he uses me. That may or may not be where he's going to use you. 
You see, each one of us has different experiences. Each one of us has different things in our hands. He's given each one of us different skills. I'm envious of some of the people that, that have skills that I just can't even, uh, you know, can't even fathom. I was going to draw for you this morning. Some of you have had the blessing of being here when I've drawn things before. And so I, I, was work, I had a piece of paper. And, and so one of the things was I needed to draw God. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to do anything disrespectful, but I want to try and create an image. So I was just going to do like a silhouette, just a silhouette of a, of a head and shoulders and everything like that, just a few lines. And so I thought, well, let me practice. I draw on a piece of paper. I'm like, nope. Every time I drew it, I came up with Bigfoot. And, <laughs> and I could not get away from that. I could, I could not draw God to make it look like anything that was celestial or heavenly or anything like that. So I said, you know, I'm not drawing. I, that, was, that was the first step. Now, my brother, on the other hand, he, he can draw just about anything. He took an Etch-a-Sketch. When he came home from the Navy, he took an Etch-a-Sketch and drew his ship on the Etch-a-Sketch. He made circles. Who knew you could do circles on an Etch-a-Sketch? And he made it look so easy. He could take charcoal and he could do other things and, and do it. I didn't get any of that. Didn't get any of that talent at all. I can't draw a circle. I can't draw a straight line. I can't do any of that. I like it. I like to be able to draw and do pictures because I learn better that way. But I decided to uh, to save you from that today. So, but anyways, that stuff in the middle is different for us. But when we stay focused upon the ending, we have a clear understanding of what our ending is. It will change the way we do things today. Turn to, to Luke chapter nineteen. Luke chapter number nineteen, verse number ten. Okay, right, now we already established where God had had started with. He started with love. His end is to save the world. So when Jesus Christ is here on earth, there were lots of things to distract him, lots of ways that he could have been pulled. But look at what he says here in chapter number 19, verse number 10. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see how focused he was on the end goal? He was everything we see Jesus Christ doing while he was here on earth was fulfilling that end goal of saving the world. That's a pretty big end goal. That's a lot bigger end goal than than discipling somebody. And by the way, when you we're called to make disciples, there's no number that's attached to that. You may be called to give to, to mentor one disciple or a hundred or the entire world. Jesus was called to the entire world. But he stayed focused. Everything he did was about that. He did a lot of miracles. You know, he did feedings. At one point, feeding over 5,000, just, just men, 5,000 men. Not counting the women, not counting the children, over 5,000. But you know, while he was here on earth, a lot of people went hungry. He healed a lot of people. You know, while he was here on earth, a lot of people died in their infirmities. He raised people from the dead. Did you know a lot of people died while he was here? And we look at that and we say, wow, he did some good, but why didn't he do more? Why couldn't he, why couldn't he heal everybody? He could have healed everybody. But that's not why he was here. Would it have been a bad thing to heal everybody? No, healing is a good thing. Would it have been a bad thing to feed everybody? No, feeding people is a good thing. But that's not what he was here for. He did those things in order for a couple of reasons. One, so that people would listen, but more importantly, to show that he, he had the ability and the authority to save the world. 
So we see him doing those, and, and unfortunately, too many Christians get caught up in the stuff that Jesus did. And we try to do exactly the same thing, but we have a different end goal. And like I said, feeding's great. Healings are great. But our end goal has to be making disciples. If our end goal isn't making disciples, we're just sending people to hell with full bellies. And that doesn't work. Our way is found in the middle. And we stay focused on the end the way Jesus Christ stayed focused on the end. We stay focused upon the purpose that we have. It begins to make our day-to-day decisions a little easier. To go back to our example of the vacation, if we decide that we're going to go on a vacation, we're going to go to Key West. And this is something that could very likely happen to me. That I'll get ready, we'll get ready to leave, and we're going to Key West, and my wife will say, hey, can we go by the outlet mall in Orlando on our way? What's the problem with that? It's the opposite direction. So if our goal is really to get to Key West, then we have to say, no, we can't go to the outlet mall in Orlando. Now, there's anything wrong with the outlet mall in Orlando. That doesn't tie in with our final destination. If we stay focused on our final destination, then we begin to say, okay, where can we stop along the way that is on the way? Where can we, what can we do along the way that benefits us and helps us get to our goal? <clears throat> we make sure that the car is in good order. Is my ministry the car making sure it's in the good order? Is, is, the, is the point and my goal to make sure that the oil gets changed in the car? No, but getting the oil changed in the car helps me to get to Key West. Making sure that I have gas in the tank, making sure that I have money in my pocket, those things, those are not the goal, but they're the steps that are necessary in order to get to where I need to go. And we begin to see our focus and we begin to remind ourselves of our focus every single day that my job, my goal is to make disciples. When we start seeing that as our goal, it helps us to make better decisions every single day. And every single day as we make better and better decisions, our purpose along our path to our ultimate purpose becomes clearer and clearer. What does it mean to make disciples? Exactly what it said in the book of Matthew. Turn back to Matthew with me real quick. Two things I want you to see here in this verse now. We saw the beginning and the end, but you know most of that verse dealt with what was going to happen in between. And it gives us the pattern for making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So a very simple explanation of what it means to make disciples is we go into the world, whatever our world looks like, and we teach people. The first thing we teach them is we teach them about Jesus Christ. When they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we help them be obedient by them being baptized. But it doesn't stop there. There's a lot of soul winning programs that are out there that are, that are great at getting people saved and tell, teaching people about the gospel and all. And that's great. And we need to do that. We need to do more of that, actually. But we have to understand that discipleship, that's the beginning of discipleship. That's, that's, a, that's a big hurdle and a big point in discipleship, but it doesn't stop there. 
Notice what he says. He says, you know, don't just teach them what they need to know. What does he says? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, Jesus was the perfect teacher because he was Jesus. And so he's equipped them with everything that they need to be able to make more disciples. Your job in making disciples is to make your disciples not only to where they're self-sufficient, but where they understand that it's their job to make disciples. And they go out not just sharing the gospel, but that's part of it. But they duplicate themselves as well. Now that's going to look different for every single person. Most of you are not going to have the same opportunity to stand in a pulpit like I do and be able to teach from a pulpit. Most of you don't want to teach from a pulpit. Most of you, if I asked you to come up and speak at the pulpit, you, you, your blood pressure goes up and your nerves goes up. You know, when we put that to a test, Tanya. No, I'm just kidding. I would <laughs> see right now. If, if we had a monitor hooked up to her right now, it, all her numbers just went through the roof. Am I right? You can feel it, can't you? I know. You thought I was really going to do it, didn't you? Because I've done it before. Have her come up and give a testimony or something, or talk about a mission or something. And uh, and it's you can see it's she's not comfortable up here. She does it because she's obedient, and she you know she's obedient to Christ, not to me so much, but to Christ. And and she does it, and you know I applaud her for that because it's harder for her than it is for me. But that's not that's not how God's going to use her to make disciples. For parents, your number one calling for disciples is your kids. You know, a stay-at-home mom, our society still, I don't understand this, our society still kind of looks down at stay-at-home moms. That's a hard job. I would lose my mind. There's no way I could do that. But stay-at-home moms, you guys have probably the greatest discipleship opportunities that there is. Rachel, you've got four, four disciples that you get to teach everything to. Make sure that they accept Christ as their Savior, give them all the information, make sure that they, they get baptized, to make sure that they understand that they grow. Four. Most people, this is all honesty, most Christians will either disciple nobody or one person in their entire lifetime. Stay-at-home moms have two, three, four. We have opportunities to disciple on our jobs. We have opportunities to come up beside people as they're going through life struggles and help them to see the godly purpose in their struggles, help them to see God's hand working, to be able to to help them make next steps, whatever that next step may be, and and disciple them. One of the reasons why we call this church Crossroads is because we're all about making steps. We know that everything doesn't happen instantaneously overnight. It's a journey. And we're faced with one crossroad after another crossroad after another crossroad. And we want to help you make good decisions at each one of those. But more importantly, we want to make sure that you guys are helping other people make good decisions at each one of their crossroads. It doesn't have to be people that go to church. It doesn't have to be people in your household. It can be people at your school or people at your work. People you run into at Winn-Dixie or Publix. Just people that you randomly see. We help them make good decisions as they go. You see, once we understand where our beginning is, and once we understand where our ending is, everything else in the middle starts to fall in place. When planning a big project at work or someplace else, 
when I would be given a task, one of the things that I would always do is I would sit down with my supervisor and I would ask them, where do you see this ending? What's the, fine, what's the finish line? Because if we don't have a clear finish line, you know, saying something like, we want better customer service at our, at our store. Okay, what does that look like to you? <coughs> where, do we, where does that end? Where do we say, you know, okay, this is where we are, and we define that. Where do you define this good, that we're good, you just use good customer service. How do you define that? What does that look like? Is it fewer uh, negative interactions? <coughs> is it better responses? How, how are we going to measure it? How are we going to look at that? How are we going to know that we're making good choices? Are we just making choices that seem right to us but, but aren't really having the impact? How are we grading it? How are we scoring this? And we look at those things, but we can't do any of that until we have a beginning and we have an end. And then once we have a beginning, once we have an end, it's just going and telling. It's just doing. And God's already given you everything you need. He's already put it all right in your hand. Hopefully I didn't overcomplicate that. The world and religion has overcomplicated our purpose for generations. I think one of the gifts that God has given me is the ability to simplify things, but I look at it as oftentimes I take things that God has given me so simply, and then I end up complicating them, and I apologize for that. If you have questions or if I, if I confused you, please see me privately. See, please see me after the service. I don't want you to ever walk out of here confused or, or questioning or wondering what it was I was talking about, because if there's confusion, understand that's not coming from God. That's coming from me, and I apologize for that. And I'll do my very, very best to, to clear that up. Um, but that's not God. God doesn't want you to be confused about your purpose. God doesn't want you to be confused about your beginning. He doesn't want you to be confused about your ending. That confusion, that's coming from someplace else. And we want to work through that.